let's look at um, this child over here. Uh, our topic today is autism, uh, chiropractic, and philosophy. Uh, and what I'm going to do today, my, my goal for today is to really stretch your minds because I've been doing a tremendous amount of research into uh, autism over the past uh, dozen or so years that I've really started getting uh, involved with this. And um, we chiropractors, uh, we have so much to offer uh, the special needs population. It is unbelievable. Um, and when you look at a child like this, there's a very specific look to a child who, uh, who has autism, especially those on the more moderate and severe scale. And one of the things I want to just point out to you as we're going along uh, with this is, is I really want you to think about their face, right? Because when, when you have a child with moderate to severe level autism and you ask them to smile, like in this particular picture here, what's the difference in this smile versus like a typical smile? Can you see? Yeah, yeah, because there's a disconnection. The whole point of everything I'm going to talk about today is a disconnection. Autistic children have disconnected brains, right? And I study with Dr. Melillo, Robert Melillo. He is like the, the disconnected kids uh, author um, and probably the premier chiropractor in the world who has studied autistic ch uh, children. So I took a seminar course with him about 10 years or so ago. Um, and this is one of the main things that he talked about is this disconnection. The kids... Autistic kids are disconnected. So what is happening here is evidence that the, even their face is disconnected. So their eyes, which are obicularis oculi controlled from the upper part of the uh, cranial nerves and the lower part, the facial nerve and, and um, trigeminal nerve, they are disconnected. So when they say smile, they go like this. But the eyes are missing, right? So if I say smile, right? Now my eyes crinkle up a little, and I'm a little older, so I might get a little crow's feet or whatever. But my eyes crinkle up, right? So when I smile, my whole face smiles, right? But with them, it's like this, because it's not the same, right? There's a disconnection. So even in their smile, we can see the disconnection, right? And this is, the, to me, one of the most important things that we as chiropractors can work on is because the disconnection is a social disconnection, right? The disconnection that we see with these special needs kids is a social disconnection. They can't figure this out. And look at this. I told the class this last week, um, <clears throat> but this just came out of the CDC. Uh, CDC estimate of autism prevalence increases to 15%, now 1 in 59 children. When I was a child, it was 1 in 10,000. Several years ago, like 2012, when the last big study came out, it was, it was 1 in 68. Now it's 1 in 59. Where is it headed? Right? That's my question to you. But then look at this. This is just in case. They, they don't want to make too much uh, craziness out of this. Just in case it says here uh, in this, uh, this uh, press release on this website called Diverse Health. It says, incidence of autism rises but shows signs of leveling off. Right? Because it only went from 1 in 68 to 1 in 59. That's, that's, just, that's like leveling off practically. Right? I think that's ridiculous. Right? We're just getting worse and worse and worse. Like if you look at the, at the, the meteoric rise that we've had of autism since, especially 95, uh, 1995, when a lot of you guys were probably born in that era, right? that's when it started shooting up. Right? And it's showing no signs of letting off or stopping or slowing down. It's showing signs of worsening, worsening and worsening. If every couple of years it's the autism rate gets more, it increases, something is wrong. So this is, that's a nice headline, but that's not really an accurate headline. And then this is just a couple of things. You know, I was just pulling this stuff off the internet here because um, this is the stuff that we're going to be talking about uh, today. It's like subtle movements line up with autism, right? So when you look at children, 
who are autistic and you watch them as they're moving, they don't move the same way we move, right? Because of that disconnection, right? The left and right sides of their brain don't understand things. So, and that comes from this paper here, a biomarker characterizing neurodevelopment with applications in autism, right? So, so you could just go totally nuts. Like I do, I, I, I'm like a, a geeky autism researcher. So I just spend a lot of time just soaking up more and more information because more and more information I have, the more and more I can help my kids. Um, how babies learn to walk holds potential clues to autism. Uh, yesterday, uh, we were seeing a, in a child in my office, uh, we were seeing a child who was crawling, and instead of crawling, cross-crawling, what was he doing? Is he was doing this sort of like, like he was on his tush, and he was moving his legs like this. They call that the crab crawl, right? When you're doing the crab crawl, what does that show? Is that normal? No. Now, according to the world it is, right? According to most people it is, but that's not normal. If you've got a crab crawl, that means you're disconnected. If you can't figure out how to do something that everybody else is figuring out, which is cross-crawling, something is wrong. And here's the problem. What's going to happen to him later on, right? That's the problem. It's not just the crawling. It's what's going to happen later on. If you have developmental issues there at one year old trying to learn how to crawl and walk, then you're going to have, that problem is going to translate later on into something else, right? And what this shows is brain, right? The brain is imbalanced. The brain is disconnected. And that's what we keep on seeing all the time. <clears throat> so here's another uh, article. Eye motions could flag certain elements of autism. It's one of the most important things I do with my kids in my practice is look at their eyes. Most chiropractors don't look at, at their kids' eyes. They kind of gloss over that. But eyes are the windows into the brain, right? If, you're, if eyes take up 50% of your brain power, don't you think you should be looking at kids' eyes, right? So we want to see, are their eyes tracking? Are they accommodating? Uh, do they have normal motion, right? Are they together like this when they're looking at you? That's one of the biggest things I'll do. I'll take pictures of my patients. We, I, there was a kid came in last week, and he's looking right at me, and I can see one eye's this way and one eye's this way. And I said to the mom, do you realize that his eyes are not, both eyes aren't looking at me at the same time? She said, no, I never noticed it. I said, all right, let me get my phone, click. And I showed it to her. And she's like, oh my God, I never noticed that before, right? So we have to notice these things, right? That's the job. The job of a chiropractor, the true job of a chiropractor is educate our patients into understanding that it's more going on than they think, right? There's way more going on than they think. And our job as a chiropractor is not to take care of bones, Right? I'm not a backcracker. My job as a chiropractor is what? I'm a nerve system doctor. And they need to know that. And they need to know that right away from the first exam. They need to know that. So just touching their back, that is insufficient. Right? You need to check out the rest of their body. Check out their eyes. Check out their parental reflexes. Those kind of things. Uh, there's a new thing out here. A two-minute questionnaire may detect autism. You know, I think that's very interesting that they think a two-minute asking some questions, might detect it. They call it a, a, a brief autism screener. But I don't think that's what needs to be done. I think what needs to be done is you've got to look at the kid. You've got to look at the kid. You've got to look at their eyes. You've got to look how they're acting. You've got to look how they're walking or crawling. You have to look how they're responding to the environment. That's what's going to tell you if a child's autism not, uh, has any autism. Not, you know, whether or not you can fill out a two, uh, the parent can fill out a two-minute questionnaire and, and try to figure this out. And this is another one of my favorite articles. It's called Six Developmental Trajectories Characterize Children with Autism. And if you actually read this article, which is one of the more interesting articles in the Journal of Pediatrics recently, um, it's missing one trajectory, and that's the chiropractic trajectory. Right? 
it's missing that trajectory. So the kids that we see in my practice, we see massive changes in these kids. We see these kids calm down. We see these kids like start to light up. We see them ki these kids just change under chiropractic care. That's what we want to see, right? But they're not talking about those trajectories because they don't even study these kind of trajectories. Hi, right, come on in. And then here's another interesting thing that I bet you guys haven't even thought of. <clears throat> the, the, the rise uh, in autism is meteoric now, right? So we're seeing tr crazy amounts of autism, but we're also seeing crazy amounts of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And I, want, I, I have not studied this enough to make complete clarity to this, but I'm telling you that's very interesting because if you really look at someone who has autism, right, they have two major components. There is social communication problems and there's movement problems. Those are two major components. What, is this, what are the problems with someone with Parkinson's, right? Now all of a sudden they, they, they're kind of like staring like this because they, they don't have really good eye movements and they have, and they have movement problems. So they have social problems and they have movement problems. Same thing with Alzheimer's, right? It's just different ends of the life, right? So Alzheimer's and Parkinson's is happening later on in life. Autism is happening earlier on in life. I think we're having neurodegenerative processes starting from the get-go. And I'm not the only one thinking this. High levels of, of Alzheimer beta amyloid precursor protein in children with severely autistic behavior and aggression. So, that, so that the reason that they're seeing a lot of, um, what they, when they look at someone with Alzheimer's, they're seeing a lot of this, these beta amyloids that are being cut inappropriately, uh, if you read about this. And if it's cut inappropriately in too many pieces, it starts to create these plaques in people with autism, where they're finding that this is also something seen in very severely autistic children, right? So this is what I want you to start thinking about, that autism is something that, that we kind of separate over here, but what I really think is happening is I think the world is having a big problem and our brains are being affected by it. And it's not just the brains of the little ones with autism, it's the brains of the older generation and, and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So let me see if I can get this thing back to working again. Let's see, project computer, project. Huh. All right. So here's another thing that I'm finding very interesting. Do you know that autism and concussions are, also, are very similar too? Have you read about that or heard about that? So this is a, a study here from the Behavioral Neurology Journal in 2016, Pediatric Traumatic Brain Injury and Autism, Elucidating Shared Mechanisms, right? And how did I figure this out? A couple of years ago, we had a child come into my practice in the early in the morning who uh, was moderately, uh, uh, had moderate autism. And then uh, later on that day, a child came in who had a concussion. And if I didn't know that one child came in with a concussion and one child was labeled autistic, I wouldn't have known which one was which. Because both of them had behavioral issues, both of them had motor issues, both of them were, were like very emotional, right? And one of the biggest things you'll, you'll see with a child who's got post-concussion syndrome or PCS, one of the biggest things you'll see with these children is the parents will say what about the child? The child's not the same child. I don't know who this kid is. Because what's happening is it's a different part of their brain that now it becomes dominant, right? It's a disconnection. So this, it all goes back to disconnection again, that when a child suffers a concussion and they develop post-concussion syndrome, and there's a whole rationale about this, 
part of the thing that you're going to see is it's disconnecting their brain. And now all of a sudden, they're not the same kid. And they share a lot of common mechanisms. So you read this article. It's absolutely fascinating. Another interesting thing is that, which says in this article here, is both concussions and autism have doubled since the year 2000. Right? This is very interesting. And I haven't done the statistics yet for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's the same too. Right? So what's going on here? There's something happening to the brains of our people. Not just the brains of our kids, but the brains of our people. So I'm introducing something. This is just something I'm working on. And we've all heard of mild traumatic brain injury. I'm introducing something called mild non-traumatic brain injury. Is it possible that a brain could become injured but not traumatized? Is it possible that you don't have to slam your head against the wall or have a hockey stick smash you in the head to actually have brain trauma? Is it possible to have brain trauma in a non-traumatic way? And I'm hypothesizing that it is. Here is why I'm hypothesizing this. Early brain injury might be the root of autism. Right? So I read this study, and this study led me to this study. The cerebellum sensitive periods in autism. This was one of the most interesting studies I read in a long time. Totally blew me away. <clears throat> it talks about focal injury to the cerebellum during gestation. There's a focal injury, and not a blunt injury. You know, it's not that the pregnant mom, someone slammed her belly or whatever, you know, that we're not to, or a car accident where it hit, you know, steering wheel hit her belly, although we have seen that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about some other kind of, of injury to the cerebellum in utero. Maybe it's, it's because of a chemical, something happened chemically. The mom ingested something or that was exposed to some kind of chemical or so, something happened uh, stress-wise and the, her mom's own hormones uh, were affected. I mean, something went wrong, right? And what that did is it created this focal injury. Now, well, that didn't work real. Now, what that, this particular article created this word that I never heard of before, and it's called diaschesis. You ever hear that word before, diaschesis? I never heard of it before. I thought it was a really interesting word, so I did more research on it. So I'm thinking that they're calling it a developmental diaschesis. I'm calling it a developmental subluxation. Right? That's just my own terminology. I'm just going to, I don't like the word diaschesis. It sounds kind of weird. Um, it's interesting, but weird. I like developmental subluxation. So is it possible, is it possible that there can be an in utero subluxation because of the baby's position in mom, environmental stress, chemical toxicity? Is it possible? The answer is, who knows? Right? Worth studying. That's my thought. Is it worth studying? Is it it's worth figuring out what's going on? Why is the autism rate from when I was a kid, 1 in 10,000, to now is 1 in 59? What on earth is going on? Something must be happening somewhere. And most of it is what they call primary autism. Primary autism means that autism starts from the get-go. The child is born and already something isn't working very good. And it goes straight up, right? The sec there's something called secondary autism. Secondary autism is regressive autism. A child was fine, growing fine, like we had a child come in last week, 18 months old, was totally fine. Father told me he's got videos of this kid talking and being totally normal, then got his shots at 18 months old, and now is hardly talking, right? But that's regressive autism. Right? So, but we're not, so we're not talking really about regressive autism because that usually has a triggering event of some sort. Um, we're talking about more of the primary kind of autism. So look at this from that article, that cerebellum article. ASD risk increases with early cerebellar injury. The right over here, there's the one thing next to cerebellar injury at birth that is higher than this is autistic identical twins. So the, in other words, a predictor of the child going to become autistic, right? The number one predictor is... Uh, autistic twin. So if your twin is autistic and you're identical to that twin, chances are 50% that you are probably going to have 
uh, autism. But they're saying in that one article, a cerebellar injury at birth is a, is a 36 times uh, predictor that you're going to have autism. So I think this is really interesting. So where is this stuff coming from? Where is this developmental di diaschesis or subluxation coming from? So look at this other very interesting article that I pulled out of the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association. Incidence of Somatic Dysfunction in Healthy Newborns. This, I love this article, but I hate this article at the same time. You know why I hate this article? Because it was done by osteopaths, right? Osteopaths. Chiropractors should be doing this article, not osteopaths. I don't understand how this is even possible. And it, this isn't just some little thing. They, they looked at, I think, almost 1,000 kids. I'm trying to see where it is, 100 newborns. I mean, 100. They looked at 100 kids, 100 newborns. And look at this. In 99 newborns, at least once phenobasal synchondrosis sprain pattern was present. Right? So what they're saying is 99 out of 100 newborns had cranial cervical or cervical strain. 99 out of 100 babies. So where is it all coming from? It's coming from either in utero, right, before they're even born, or this could be coming because of the birth process. Right? Because what's the C-section rate right now in this country? We talked about this recently in my elective class. 32%. 32%. Are you telling me that 32% of our females cannot have a baby naturally? One-third of all women cannot have a baby naturally? Yes, there's always going to be emergencies, crisis, problems, right? You're going to see 10%, no matter what you do, there's going to be 10% C-section rate. That's just the way it is in the world, right? But in my practice, my C-section rate of the, of the women we take care of is 10% or less. But the world out there is 32%, right? What's happening? You think, and a lot of times they'll say, oh, well, our C the C-section rate is 32%, as, 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 so, but the baby is, is easier for the baby. No. No, it's not. They're missing some things, aren't they? Right? And it's easier for the mom, too. Oh, no, it's not easy for the mom. No, no, getting cut through your belly like this and ripping up the fashion and all that kind of stuff and going, that, that ain't easy for mom. So C-sections are not easy. Now, if they're necessary, they're necessary, right? Crisis, crisis, totally different story. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about all the other C-sections, right? So this is brilliant. I love University of Pittsburgh. I am studying with them right now some of their information. Six different kinds of concussion. But I want you, and they, they're calling this thing rethinking concussion. I would like to change it to rethinking autism. I would change this thing and say rethinking autism. If you had a cranial or cervical strain in utero or at birth, might this be the result? Might this be the result? So there's six different kinds of concussion according to the University of Pittsburgh. Cognitive fatigue, vestibular, ocular, post-traumatic migraines, cervical anxiety mood. Have you ever seen babies who cry all the time? Crying, crying, crying all the time? Maybe they have, post maybe they have some kind of migraine kind of issue, but they can't say, right? Because they're little babies. They don't have any you know, words to talk about it, right? Who knows what's going on? Do they have any cervical issues? We see little kids with all kinds of crazy problems. They have anxiety and mood problems? Absolutely, right? So this is the kind of stuff I want you to think about. I'm pushing the envelope way, way, way past what you might have already thought about, whether you're in third quarter or you're 13th or 14th quarter, like some of my elective students here. I want you to think way, way, way past. When we're talking concussion we're not, or uh, autism, we're not just talking about kids with autism. We're talking about concussion. We're talking about adults with Parkinson's. We're talking about adults with Alzheimer's. We're talking, there's a huge amount of stuff that's going out there. What, th what we're really talking about is brain injury to some level, whether it's an acute 
brain injury because someone is in a car accident or a sports injury or whatever it is, or a non-acute brain injury where they sometimes there's a there's a virus or a bacteria or whatever that's caused the brain you know injury or something like that, or it's a, a, a genetic or congenital brain injury, or it's what my conjecture is, this non-traumatic brain injury where there's some other sort of thing, this diaschesis, as they're talking about, this focal cerebellar injury that is creating a brain injury. Brain injury is the thing that we as chiropractors need to work on. It's brain injury, right? I am not a back doctor. I am not a spine doctor. I happen to work on those things as my conduit in, but that's not my job. My job is as a chiropractor to Focus on the nerve system. Make that nerve system work the way it's supposed to. That's my job, right? That's the job of a chiropractor, and that's what I want to get across when we're talking about this. Is an infant who becomes autistic start with an in utero or birth concussion-like injury? If so, how do you work with it? That's the thing I want to discover. That's my mission, right? Right, so why do I get up in the morning and I read all these different kind of books and stuff, and I study all these different kind of articles? Because I want to learn how to take care of these kids. Right? There's something way, way, way bigger, right? way, way, way bigger than what we, we, we know right now. And my mission is to figure out what that something is, chiropractically speaking. Right? So I want to find out as much as I can. So I'm super excited to have you guys here from the third quarter because you're going to be here for a while. right? Some of you guys in the your 14th quarter dumping us real quickly or, or 12th or 13th quarter, not going to see you very much. But you third quarter students, you've got a lot of time. Right? you got a lot of time before you guys get out of here. So it means a lot of time to dig into this right? and to do research on this. And some of you guys may even go into the research track and do this kind of stuff. And I'd love to help you with that. Right? This is what we are after. Right? There's something way bigger going on. And what can we do as chiropractors you know, to help this? That's what I want to figure out.